Not a Rabbi Podcast, episode number two, Judging the Judges. And welcome back to Not a Rabbi. And uh, we have got a interesting podcast for you guys today, I think. Uh, it's something that is uh, a little bit wonky, a little bit geeky, as I had mentioned in the last podcast. Not technical geeky. Uh, we will not be talking about where uh, Jews stand on the topic of GIF versus JIF. That is definitely not what we're going to be talking about, although that, that we might put that in as a topic for, uh, for another day. Uh, but before we get to the main meat of the podcast, I wanted to take a couple of minutes and apologize for episode number two, or actually episode number one. Uh, not... Uh, for any of the content of it. I think the content was fine, um, but for the production values of it. Uh, the production values were not where I would like them to be as uh, usually, and as a result, the sound was terrible and very poor. Uh, for whatever the reasons may be, there were reasons. The reasons hopefully are addressed and fixed, um, but uh, and going forward, I will do a better job for, of that of making sure that it's the case. Uh, additionally, once I did fix the problem, it got cut off after four minutes, which is a little bit of, <laughs> uh, it was, you can't win sometimes. Um, but I did want to uh, send out a thanks to those of you who did send in uh, complaints about this and constructive criticism out about this. Um, most notably, my wife, Malki, who was the first one to let me know about the sound issue and also my friends and denizens of the palm chat discord channel so thank you all for that uh with regard to the size or the uh timing of the issue where it got cut off after i fixed it uh, i would like to thank tom owens for picking that up and informing me of it and uh, oh you know then i was able to fix it okay so that is the apology that I needed to get out of the way. Um, I will endeavor and to do better next time, and this time, and all times going forward. I wanted to get to a question from a listener, and the listener, his name is Joe, and uh, he asks a lot of questions. Oh, we're going to get to some of them today. We're going to get to others uh, in another episode. I think that they can be separated out and deal with them. Uh, so Joe asks in this question, uh, in this email to me, he asks, in general, what is going on with the story in Judges 11? If you don't know what is going on in Judges 11, fear not, I will give you a brief recap of it. Question number two, was what happened in Judges 11 meant to be condoned by God. Number three, why did the daughter tell him to go through with it? And number four, why was there no evidence of any dissent in the text? So, like I had mentioned before, Joe asks a bunch of other questions uh, with regard to what I'm going to call biblical violence. Uh, I think they're good questions, and we're going to try to delve into those in another episode. But before we get into the 
into the main port, part of uh, talking about Judges 11, chapter 11. I wanted to give a hopefully brief explanation about what constitutes the Jewish Bible. The Jewish Bible is three sections, and, it is the, and it's made out of 24 books. And the three sections are the following. You have the five books of Moses, which are, of course, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. After the five books of Moses, you then have the prophets, the books of the prophets. And those books include books such as Joshua, Judges, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, uh, to name a few. Um, and those kind of can get divided up as well into early and later, but that's not such a important distinction at this point. Then you have the section called writings, and that is that would include books such as the Book of Esther, the Book of Ruth, the Book of Psalms, uh, Book of Lamentations, and book of Job, a couple of others. I'm sure I'm missing a couple, um, but I'm not here to give an entire outline of it. Now, these 24 books in Hebrew are called Tanakh, and that is a acronym for three words, which is Torah, Nevi'im, and Kesuvim, which are the Torah, five books of Moses. Nevi'im is the prophets. That's the, Navi is the Hebrew word for prophets. Nevi'im is the plural, and kasuvim is our writings, and of course, kasuv is the verb for Hebrew, in Hebrew for writing, and kasuvim is the plural for that. Okay, now that we've gotten all of that out of the way, let's talk a little bit about the book of Judges. Book of Judges, it's, it's a very fascinating book altogether, because the book of Judges it's just fascinating um, because at the point in time when the book of Judges takes place, it's taking place after Joshua divides up, you know, conquers the land of Israel, divides up the land among the 12 tribes. And if you take a look, the book of Judges has a lot of peaks and valleys, I guess you could say. When Israel is listening to the commands of God and to what they are supposed to be doing and following the word of God, then they are doing well. Everything is on top. They're on top, of, you know, so to speak, they're on top of the world. They're not being bothered. It is very peaceful. When they are not listening to God and they are doing whatever they should not be doing, that is where the problem comes in. And they are then tormented by various enemies. Generally, it would be the Philistines or the Ammonites. Uh, there are probably others as well. And this is something that God sends them to kind of set them back onto their path and to be following God. That's the first part you want to kind of realize about this. Second part is that when we use the term judges in this book and for these people who are the judges, they are more than just judges. They are military leaders. They are national leaders. And they are additionally Torah scholars to some degree. And we'll talk about that in a minute or two, really. But those are the 
I guess you could say those are the real uh, diff you know, things to know about the book of Judges. One is the political background, I guess you could say, of it. And two, that these people are not just literal judges judging cases, court cases. They are also leaders. Okay, now, on to chapter 11 of the book of Judges. Happen to have a copy of it right here. I'm not going to read the entire thing, uh, lest I bore everybody to death. The 30,000 foot view, I guess you could say, of it is that we're introduced to a, an individual named Yiftach. He gets asked by, the, by Israel, by the nation of Israel, to help defeat the Ammonite nation because the Ammonite nation are causing a lot of trouble for them at this point in time. Now, getting back to what I said about the leaders and the judges being Torah scholars as well, the I think it's a Talmudic or Midrashic saying that says, Yiftach to his generation as Samuel is to his generation. Uh, as we know, Samuel was actually a great prophet. Uh, Book of Psalms compares him to Moses and Aaron as well in terms of his great level. And so this tells us to a degree that Yiftach was one of the greater Torah scholars of his generation. Now, that does not necessarily mean that he was um, a complete Torah scholar, because as we'll see, there are a lot of issues as well, and there are going to be problems. Um, so it's just an interesting point to, to realize. Anyway, uh, Yiftach agrees finally to do this, uh, help defeat the Ammonite nation, and what he does in to get additional help is that he makes a vow to sacrifice the first thing that comes out of his home when Israel wins. Of course, Israel does win. They defeat the Ammonites. What is the first person to come out of the house of Yiftach? But his daughter. His daughter then he knows, hears about this. She says to go ahead and complete the vow. He does complete the vow. And that pretty much ends off chapter 11. Um, again, a lot going on. We'll try to unpack it, and I really, really do hope to do some credit to ex the explanation of this on a uh, Jewish perspective. Now, before we get to reviewing Joe's questions and trying to answer them, Let's take a look at a couple of things I, I did want to talk about in terms of a little bit more background. I am very big into background and context. Helps you understand, helps me understand what is going on and what is being said. So the first thing to understand is sacrifice, the concept of sacrifice. Now, uh, if you've read the five books of Moses specifically, Leviticus and Numbers, you know that there were a lot of sacrifices that were brought during, uh, and actually Exodus as well, they built the tabernacle, uh, Moses established, set it up, and it w traveled with Israel during the f their 40 years in the desert. When they came into the land of Israel, at first it was in a town called Shiloh. And animal sacrifices were still given at that time per 
what is written in Leviticus near the end of Numbers in terms of the daily offerings, in terms of a sin offering, and the like. So, you know, n having sacrifices is not a something that is out of the ordinary here. Next point is vows. Vows are also before a battle. Vows before a battle was something that was not uncommon. We can see there are two examples of this that I can think of, uh, one in the book of Numbers and then also in the book of Joshua before the second battle of Ai. And both of them, they declared that they were not going to touch any of the, uh, any of the booty. Anything that uh, gets won in battle, they are not going to touch. It all goes to all goes to God. The third point I wanted to make here was the point of rabbinic interpretation. And there are many Talmudic and post-Talmudic Torah scholars who have gone and explained the what the verses mean and how they and how they uh, are should be understood. There are going to be times, there are often times, when these individuals are, and they're completely diametrically opposed as to what this means. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, however, I'm going to be trying to pull from some of these scholars to hopefully answer Joe's questions. Now, who are some of these? Uh, I'm going to go specifically with the post-Talmudic, some of the post-Talmudic scholars, specifically with regard to the uh, the, the the prop books of the prophets. Um, there is, of course, the main person who has who, who explained everything from the Bible to through the Talmud, which is Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki. He goes by the acronym of Rashi, and then also there is uh, another medieval scholar. Uh, scholar from the medieval times, I should say, uh, to <laughs> it's a slight difference. <laughs> it's a big difference, um, and that is Rabbi David Kimchi, and he actually goes by the name of by the acronym of Radak. Additionally, there is oh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> uh, there is just I'm looking through this list here, and there are just you know, of uh, my commentaries, and there are so many different commentaries. Another one that I'll try to just quickly highlight is Nachmanides, who goes by the the acronym of Ramban, um, which is, um, and Maimonides, of course, who goes by the acronym of Rambam, and there is a difference in terms of the accent of the where the syllable is, but for between the two of them because they do sound si very similar, one with an N at the end, one with an M at the end. Okay, be that as it may, and I don't want to, I don't want to get into too deep of a <laughs> discussion about this. Although, eh, as somebody that loves history, it's fascinating learning about these individuals and what they went through in life. Here, so let's answer now Joe's Joe's questions. First question, specifically about the story in Judges chapter eleven is, does God condone what happened? And the answer to that, in short, is a resounding no. God does not condone this at all. Now, a couple of points that I want to make about this is Tractate of Tinus. And the Tractate of Tinus um, is a 
Talmudic work. It's from the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud. And this actually deals with, uh, for whatever, if you're interested, this actually deals with general fasts that one or that the community takes if there are famines and lack of rain. Talmud over there says, three people asked God in an unreasonable, unreasonable manner, uh, meaning that their situations where their requests might have been received in an un, uh, received an unfavorable answer. Two of them, God responded reasonably with a favorable response, and one, God responded unreasonably. Uh, the two that were responded to reasonably were Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, and Shaul, Saul, the first king of Israel. And that was during their battle with the Philistines and the whole story of David and Goliath. But we're not going to get into that right now. So we see here that God did not really like this. And God did not accept or want nor condone this scenario that Yiftach created for himself. Additionally, according to the Medrash, uh, which is a Talmud also in the same time of written in the same time as the Talmud, Yiftach contracted a disease that caused his limbs to atrophy and fall from his body naturally. So it was as if he died in stages. The reason for that is because he made such an outstandingly colossal, stupid type of vow. He, he made a vow that was absolutely made no sense to make. You don't make such a vow when something potentially could come out of the house that is A, not going to be, um, well, not even A, but it's it's just not going to be something that's an, as an acceptable sacrifice. We have never sacrificed humans. Human sacrifice was never something that was was allowed, nor is it condoned. Straight out. That is question number one. No, God did not condone this type of action that Yiftach did. Now, let's get to a little bit of a thornier problem. And that thornier problem is why did his daughter say, go ahead and do this? I'll just, I'm going to read the English uh, translation here that I have of verse 36. She said to him, my father, you have opened your mouth to God. Do me according to what has gone out of your mouth, since God has wreaked vengeance for you, for you against your enemies and against the children of Ammon. This is a mind-boggling statement. How would a daughter be okay with that? I have an explanation for it here, as it points out, which is uh, the following. That this was an amazing display of loyalty and obedience. Uh, and since God helped in the war against the Ammonites, she felt that the vow should be carried out even if she was the victim. Not to get too far into the weeds here, I'm not happy with this explanation. You know, this is the explanation that we have. I'm not 100% crazy about it. I'm sure that there are other ones, but I was not able to find any. I wanted to also talk about 
the issue of go back to the issue of vowels for a minute. In vowels, or with vowels, we have the concept that the vowel can be annulled. The can be the vowel can be annulled, um, and you can get the annulment is very relatively simple to do. I won't bore you with any details, but um, you know it is very simple to do. You gather, you, you get a court of three men together, and for and they can say, "Did you do?" You, and you say to them, "I regret making this vow." Uh, you know, a, a three men generally could constitute a um, rabbinic court of law or Jewish court of law. Um, so anyway, you get them together and you say. I regret making this type of vow, I wish I had never done it, and pretty much it would be done. Interesting other question here is, being that this was a human being sa potentially sacrificed, did the vow ever even have an effect? And there is a discussion about that according to one sage, and this is in again in a medrash in from Genesis, and one sage says that what he was required to do was set aside the monetary value of the daughter for the purchase of offerings. Another sage says, since the vow only applied to animals that were valid, nothing that would be invalid was specifically a human being, there was no legal binding of this vow. It is clear that the vow didn't really have any general standing. Uh, in fact, when we talk, getting back to the nullification of vows, um, the high priest could have gone ahead and nullified the vow, but both of them were too stubborn to go one to go to him and one to go to the other. So the high priest at the time felt that he had to protect the honor of his office, and Yiftach felt since he was the leader of the of the Jewish people of the of the Israelites that he shouldn't have to go to anybody so you see here that there are a bunch of ways that this really was not accepted and really didn't even should not have worked yet it did now I also want to point out something here as well Radak who I had mentioned earlier uh, Rabbi David Kimchi says that she actually was not sacrificed. You might think to yourself and say, hey, wait, it says she should be sacrificed. True. However, how they decided to uh, potentially circumvent this is that what Yiftach did was, carry, was um, build his daughter a house to live in solitude and seclusion and devoting herself to prayer except for four days a year where friends would visit her and bemoan her fate and so this was not a literal offering in this case but rather a figurative offering Nachmanides actually will argues on that argues with that and he says that not even a parent nobody has the right to obligate restrictions upon another human being so it was never binding in any way and the above course of action, which we had just spoken about with building the house, had no halachic validity 
legal validity as an interpretation of the vow. What, how does Nachmanides explain this? That he was that Yiftach thought that he erroneously thought that since he was the ruler, he was authorized to oppose his will and empowered to bring his daughter of as an offering, and it was literal. So, and once again, the, the sages criticize him for this. So, there's a couple of things over there. Now, to the last question, and this is, um, and now to the last question, as to why there was no evidence of any dissent. This is a good question. I don't have a specific reason for this, although I, I, I could probably tease something out. The books of the Torah are not specifically history books with every single event and recorded. So there may have been, and there probably was, as I think we can see from what some of the commentaries have mentioned, that there was some dissent that happened. But for whatever reason, it wasn't included in the text of the through the actual text of the of the book as to why that is it'd be hard for me to venture to guess um i would say maybe that there is a specific lesson to be learnt from this such as do not be hasty with making vows don't make promises right i uh, i often tell my uh, tell my students jokingly uh, when they promise to, and I yell at them, you know, not yell at them, but I chastise them or I throw them out, they promise to behave, uh, so I shouldn't, and so therefore asking me not to throw them out, but I will usually tell them, don't make promises you can't keep, because uh, inevitably they will not behave. But, uh, so, you know, so maybe that is the lesson that we're supposed to, I mean, and the reason why there is no dissent mentioned, so we can take out this lesson from that. I don't know. I don't have any hard proof on that. It is really supposition on my part. And, you know, take that f as you wish. That is a brief look and hopefully an explanation. Like I said, I really hope that I did this justice. Um, I feel like I didn't, but uh, who knows? <laughs> who knows for sure? Anyhow, this was an explanation, and hopefully you enjoyed it. Any questions, you can now email me. Or you have any comments, or you have any uh, suggestions for shows, feel free to email me. You can do that at notarabbipod at gmail.com. Once again, notarabbipod at gmail.com. Uh, that'll be in the show notes. You could obviously do that. Uh, also, would like a request, if you could, to please go ahead and please give us a review. It help, will help reach, or help the show, I should say, reach more people. The better, or the more reviews, reviews happen, we are able to get and see uh, move up the charts, so to speak, and get noticed a lot more as well. Of course, I've got to also give credit where credit is due. The art for the podcast is done by Kelly Kirkman, and the music is done by John Benedict. Check him out in the show notes. Anyhow, that is the end of our show for today. Thank you very much. We will 
talk in roughly two weeks. I am Aaron Benedict, and I am not a rabbi. <laughs>